quick note about gaslighting. Someone posted on their Facebook feed that toxic positivity is self-gaslighting. And it's true if you know what they mean with each of those words. But toxic positivity is easy to figure out because they use the word toxic. So they specifically mean all the positivity that you think is bad. You know, they think is bad. And so we don't have to worry about all the positivity that could be good. Self-gaslighting, though, gets a little confusing. And people responded asking for explanations and whatnot, and they gave them, and it's great. But really, what there is to say about that is it's really fucking hard to know what gaslighting is whether someone's gaslighting. And I suspect I know why that is. The idea around gaslighting is that somebody is trying to dupe you into believing a different version of the truth than you deeply know inside. So they're trying to tell you, no, I didn't say that, or no, I didn't do that, or no, I wasn't. Um, I wasn't talking to you in such a way as to try and get something out of you, right? No, I wasn't uh, hitting on her. There, boom. No, I wasn't hitting on her. What are you talking about? I was just, I was just uh, chatting her up. I was just seeing how her day is going. Just, just think she's a really neat person. It's not like I want to fuck her. And you get confused because you want to believe this person, maybe your boyfriend or lover or girlfriend. You want to trust them, but something inside you, maybe in your gut, maybe in your chest, maybe where your heart is, tells you otherwise, that they really were hitting on this person. And then you get all the reality warping effects. And the people who talk about gaslighting are trying to find a way to point to an observable behavior. So we get stuck in analysis mode during or after the event. Well, wait, what can I look at that says he was gaslighting? Maybe it's the way he used his words, or maybe it's the tone of voice, or maybe it's his body language and posture. None of that is what causes gaslighting. Gaslighting is the name for an effect that already had a name, but the word gaslighting is the word that grew out of the victim's subjective perspective. From the victim's point of view, the perpetrator, we'll call them, is shining a sodium vapor lamp on the street and making everything look weird in that deep yellow color. But from the supposed perpetrator's view, and sometimes they really are, and that's what makes this so difficult, but from the, the other person's view, they, they weren't doing that. Either because they don't want to believe they were doing that, or because they really weren't. And how to tell the difference is what's so hard for, this, for the victim. <clears throat> anyway, the name for the thing we call gaslighting isn't gaslighting, it's transference. This is a psychological term that dates back to the days of depth psychology. I'm talking around 1900, 1910. Freud, Jung, Adler and their contemporaries. 
Transference is when emotional energy is projected out of one person and into another. Emotions are hard to define themselves. And because of that, psych students have always had trouble understanding what transference is. It takes a lot of experience to point to things and say, oh, that was transference. And then it takes even more experience to be able to, to figure out how to manage it. I get to why all that is. It's the same thing as calling a thing gaslighting. Emotions, Jung had a definition that I think is interesting. Maybe not true, but interesting. Jung believed that feeling is one of the four primary ways that we understand reality from the perspective of consciousness. And that feeling itself is a way of valuing something as good or bad, pleasant or unpleasant, friendly or threatening. And so emotion was an overwhelming feeling that had to find a way to come out. And so you can have a feeling about something and get this sense of whether it's good for you or bad for you, whether you like it or not, aesthetics, values, etc. But then when you have a lot of feeling that wells up, it becomes an emotion. And an emotion has to be acted out. Or if it can't be acted out, if it can't be managed within the body, it has to be sent away. They've got to get it away from being conscious of it. This is where transference comes in. This effect is experienced by every psychotherapist and psychoanalyst who has ever even begun the craft. And it's really experienced by all sorts of people who don't study and practice psychology. They just don't have a name for it or they have other names for it. Transference is when person A has a huge upwelling of emotion, usually linked to trauma. Either a traumatizing experience happening now or a triggered trauma already baked into their memory. This huge upwelling of emotion is completely overwhelming. It's way too big for their mind-body system to contain. And it has to be ejected because it's too big. They can't stay conscious of it. What the mind does is this two-fold thing. One, the mind detaches consciousness from the experience that's going on. So there's a denial. The mind sets up its own version of reality where this thing isn't happening at all and this thing that's happening stays outside of consciousness. And the second thing is that the emotion is somehow, mystically, or maybe not, if you're willing to accept some not entirely validated scientific hypotheses based on very recent research, the emotion is transferred into anybody who is trying to hold space for this person, attune to them, open up to them, anybody who's receptive to and attentive to this person gets hit with the emotion and it's unconscious. 
transference is sending the emotion into another person. And emotion clouds, colors our perspective in the same way that a gaslight does. Gaslighting is, the, is another name for the effect of transference on the recipient. So when a person is so flooded with emotion that they transfer it out, a person who's being receptive, like a therapist, gets flooded with it, and then their reality starts to get colored in the same way that the person who sent it is colored. Now both people come into this alternate reality from an emotion filtering and live in this alternate reality together. If trauma being triggered is what caused it, and that's most often the case when working in a therapy session or a coaching session or any other vulnerable session that's a helping situation, then the reality that people live in together is this trauma reality, the trauma memory. In this reality, the person who transferred the emotion out is a victim of some kind. And the person who received the emotion and has been sucked into this alternate reality is a perpetrator, probably being put into the role of the perpetrator who caused the first trauma. So suddenly that person, if you're receiving this emotion, that other person might see you as a threat or a danger or a hostile. And you start taking on the characteristics that the emotion tells you to take on. You start acting hostile or angry or judgmental or aggressive. You start stepping into the role. That stepping into the role the psychologists called counter-transference. Because you start to take on the role, you take on the complementary emotions in that reality, and act out that emotion, and it goes back to the other person, to the client, perhaps, or to the perpetrator. And it reinforces their belief that you are that thing. So there's this feedback loop that gets set up, and it locks both parties into the alternate reality. It's all driven by the thing we call emotion. Now, this is a dyadic description I'm giving because countertransference and transference was named by and has been studied by people who work one-on-one -on -one in therapy, but it actually happens in groups too. Now, why does it happen? It's because of two things. One, the person who had the emotion spring up first is triggered or is in a situation that makes them way too vulnerable. And either of those causes them to be overwhelmed by the, by the magnitude of the experience. And when any human being is overwhelmed consciously, we have to push the extra or maybe the whole thing out of consciousness. We just can't deal with it now. So that pushing out is an automatic thing that the psyche does to protect you from being awestruck or struck with madness, being struck insane. But the other half is just as important. And in the case of social justice and the social discourse, I think it's more important. The other half is the recipient of the transference is someone who doesn't have a formed emotional boundary. 
who doesn't have an energetic boundary is a term that's often used in psychology, in pure psychology. And so they might identify as a highly sensitive person. They might call themselves an empath. They might call themselves an autist. They might identify with ADHD. Um, they might identify with OCD. There's lots of things that circle this neighborhood. And one of the, of, I'll call it a symptom, but one of the characteristics of people who in this neighborhood is the absence of an energetic boundary around your sense of self and around your own embodied experience. So that when your gut is telling you that something is true and you get hit with an emotional transference that tells you it's not true, you don't have the psychic boundary needed to hold that transference out and hold to yourself. This is not a criticism. I'm one of these people and I have been developing myself to develop that psychic boundary. What I know is that the psychic boundary forms naturally when healing work has been done in the areas where it's been ruptured. That is to say, the more trauma healing and the more relational repair that you do in your life, it's a long road for some of us, for many of us, the more you do in your life, the more your energy boundary, your psychic boundary around your sense of self is repaired. You start to develop a firmer sense of yourself, a more consistent and steady sense of yourself, and a more resilient sense of yourself when others try to transfer emotions into you. When others unconsciously transfer it out of themselves. Even I'm slipping up in my language. Now, how transference became gaslighting relates to the lived experience of people with very early life trauma and long histories of trauma. When you have very little emotional energetic boundary, I know that saying this is going to anger some people. It's not about you uh, it is. It's just true. It's true, and it sucks to hear sometimes, and that's life. When you don't have a good energetic boundary, often because there was early life trauma, like in the womb, being born, or shortly after being born, and then it could have even continued into development through childhood, depending on your household or your living conditions. When you don't have this boundary and others transfer into you, you don't have control or much really choice over whether or not you take it up and whether or not you start to live in this alternate reality driven by the emotion. Basically, you don't have self-sovereignty and you live like this all the time. And this makes you feel like you're always being victimized by other people who are in denial about their true motives and intentions. Or other people look like they're always threats to your safety if they don't practice an explicit consent culture. So from the perspective, from the point of view of 
someone who doesn't have a developed psychic energetic boundary. Others look like perpetrators. It looks like others are turning on a gas lamp on purpose in order to dupe and deceive. And here's the shitty thing. Some people are doing that on purpose. Gaslighting as a malicious intention does exist. It's just not quite as rampant as one might want to believe if one has a lived experience of no control over whether or not they're taking on other people's emotional experiences. So the term gaslighting is problematic because it is a victim language term. And a victim can't exist without naming a perpetrator, without inventing a perpetrator when necessary. When we use the word transference, we can take the objective view that stands outside the victim and the perpetrator. It stands outside the recipient of emotional energy and the transmitter of emotional energy and looks at them both in a more neutral position. And that gives us a chance not to assume that there's a victim and a perpetrator. That's why I use the word transference and try to look at things through that angle because it gives each person a fair shake in the analysis of the situation. It even helps me as a subject when I'm in a situation and experiencing transference. It helps me not to jump into the I'm a victim's seat. It helps me understand that I'm part of a system that might be dyadic or it might be a group system. And I'm neither a victim nor a perpetrator. I'm a human being strapped to an incredibly complex unconscious mind-body system that does things it has been doing for millions of years, whether or not I want it to. And I'm just trying to figure it out, help it thrive, and be nice to other people when I can.